Hey, welcome to Younger and Older. This is Jason and Dave hanging out at the studios at Silver Birch Ranch in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. And it's another day that we can um, join in conversation. Uh, spring has sprung in a way, um, depending on where you live in the country. I'm sure that you probably don't notice it. Schizophrenic spring. But in the Northwoods, <laughs> we, we, we note weather quite a bit because... It's schizophrenic. It's schizophrenic. Yeah. Yeah. We've it had is. ice. We've had all three seasons in the last week and a half. We have. Spring is just really tough in the Northwoods. No matter how you slice it, it's it's tough because you never know what to expect. No. Um, it's kind of like, though, I think those people who live in Colorado Springs have the same experience. That mm. it, that, that area gets really weird weather, I think, for, yeah. from my perspective anyway. Those who are listening to us in Colorado Springs, sorry. I'm not, right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really cutting down your area. I'm saying the times I've been there, you know, you get snow one morning, it's sunny and 60 degrees by the afternoon. So yes. it's just kind of weird. That is weird. Um, but we don't have it normally that way all year. No. But in the spring, don't count on anything because anything can happen here. That's right. That's right. Hey, when I think of change, I think of life and change, and I look back on life and, and look at it now. You know, your generation is really coming into prominence as far as leadership goes. And I look at the way things started Mm -hmm. many years ago from both of our perspectives. My dad was the pastor of the church you went to as well. But in our ministry here was started really unusually in that uh, my dad wanted to have a place for his church. Yeah. So he one day found it. He kept looking in the real estate. And back then they didn't look online. There was no online. No, it was newspapers and telephones and that kind of stuff. So... But he found a place, a camp up here in northern Wisconsin that was um, going bankrupt, basically. They didn't operate for a year. Kids used to get on trains in Chicago, and they would get off, actually, up here at a a station called Hollister. Mm -hmm. And they would come back, you know, in the early 60s, late late 50s, and it'd be $100 a week back then, which was huge. Yeah. Uh, But it was a private camp that basically... um, catered itself to the the Jewish population and taught horseback riding and they had clay tennis courts and and they taught, you know, English riding and all the proper stuff that you need to know. And uh, yet they were going under. So the place was sitting here empty for a year. And and really, I'm not sure how they got away with those prices because they took water out of the lake and there was really nothing here. There were tent cabins, literally bases that were made out of wood and tent tops. Yeah. And so he walked the grounds and he saw these grounds where two sides of it was surrounded by national forest and one side by a lake. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, you know, we need to buy this thing and use it for the king. And he went out and borrowed the money from a bank in the area and bought it. Yeah. Now I think, you know what? When I started year round in 1981, guys like him were already being kind of made fun of. Mm-hmm. Because how do you operate a ministry like that? That, yeah. that was the question even in 1980 then. He did this in 1967. And by 1980, they were saying, boy, you can't do it that way. You need to have committee meetings and have financing and have long-range plans. And, and I'm thinking, boy, that never happened. Yeah. And then I look at what happened to other ministries. Awana was started. My dad was on its board. New Tribes Bible Institute. Uh, Youth for Christ was started out of the same church my dad went to. And um, all kinds of different ministries that came, Slavic Gospel Association came out of that church. And these guys had dreams and just said, we need to do this. Yeah. And they started to do it. Mm-hmm. 
And those places are still going today. Yeah. And I look back on that and think, wow, that would be really hard to do today. But should it be? That's the question. Should it be, where does faith play anymore in a, in a faith-based organization? Hmm. How much faith does a faith-based organization demonstrate before they're irresponsible? Yeah, I, I, that's a valid question, you know, because I think sometimes we do get caught up now in the committee meetings, the long-range platinum meetings, the fundraising meetings and all that, and they, you, don't, you just spin your wheels and you don't get anywhere. Yeah, we want to make things feasible. Seems like there's a lot more red tape than there used to be. Well, I think there is, and and you have to make allowance, I guess, for laws and whatever else might be out there. But yeah, I'm sure back in 1967, you didn't have to necessarily go through all the hoops and jumps to even build a building. No, you know, and I'm sure the requirements have changed. Yeah, that, I'm, but, I'm, yeah. But that aside, you know, it's still it's still the um, the gumption, you know, to be able to go and say, you know what, I feel led to do this, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I think sometimes we we look at the cons of a situation and those cons overwhelm us so that it's like, well, either that or we're just used to the system that we've created, yep. you know, where we have to get everybody on board first as opposed to saying, you know what, no, this is where it needs to go. Well, even fe- the word feasibility. Yeah. What's feasible with God? Hmm. Anything. I, so if you're listening to God, and you're going to point to him. Mm-hmm. What should you be doing? Yeah. I mean, if you read Hebrews 11, what was feasible for Noah? Mm-hmm. What was feasible for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Daniel? What was feasible for these people? Mm-hmm. And I think part of it, too, is I think we're, we're afraid of failing. Yep. You know, but I mean, you look at, uh, was it Ben Franklin? You know, Prop. and it doesn't he have a quote where he's like, you know, well, Sure, I tried a thousand other times that didn't work, and I just happened to have one that did work. Yeah, it was either him or Einstein. Or Einstein, it, one it, of the two. You yeah, know, but some it's old like, inventor. <laughs> you know, but that's that's the idea is that, you know, if you have an idea, if you fail, who cares? Yep. Get up and try again. Not only that, you could look like you failed and not fail. Right. Look at what, what happened to Jesus. He got, you know, he's crucified. Yeah. He's on the cross, and he said it's finished. Like, I win. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. That didn't look like a win. Mm-hmm. Stephen, you know, when he got stoned, that didn't look like a win. Right. But it was. Absolutely. So it's kind of like, I, okay, we in America, sometimes I think we've legislated God right out of it. Yeah. And we've tried to figure out, just like Fortune 500 companies or somebody else, how do we do this apart from God? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's totally messing us up in ministry these days. Yeah. And I think we even hinted at this in a previous episode that we did where we talked about success. Right. You know, because as as we look at starting ministries or different things, you know, even as you just talked about Stephen and and even Jesus, that's like, how how are we defining success? You know, because an average person that might look at Stephen, who was killed for his faith, might say, how do you how do you think that's successful? And I think in the same right, when we have an idea that we think God has given us to go do something, even if we fail, you know, even if we, even if it's one person you impact, isn't that success? Right. You know, and I think that's where we, we need to be willing to take those steps of faith and allow God to be God and to supply and, and to show up and to show off who he is because he's the one that makes everything capable. Yeah. You know, and it's not just our own gumption and willpower. Yeah, I think of Moses' mother. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Here's a lady. They were going to kill, you know, the babies. She yeah. takes and sends her son 
floats him in a river. Mm-hmm. Her sister, you know, is there to guard, and all of a sudden, you know, if you know the story, obviously, uh, she, her sister comes back, tells mom, oh, no, royalty has seen him. Mm-hmm. Well, she actually gives him up. Yeah. I, I wonder what people thought about her at that point. You know what I mean? You put him out there. He got taken now from you. He's now an Egyptian. Yeah. But look what God did with Moses. That was all part of the plan. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the greatest things we can do is get to know who God is and trust the fact that he's doing something and relax that he is. Now, this was all spurred, by the way, because I was reading an article. I, I, like, I find old stuff. My dad had a collection of old books and, and old seminar notes and, and stuff. And every once in a while, I start flipping through them. And, and I found a, a, an ad for a conference out in California. Mm-hmm. And it was, be put, it was put on by Biola, uh, which is a college out there. Yep. And it, I want to read you that your prayerful support is invited is the name of the little thing that was at the bottom of this article. Oh, wow. And it said, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles is needed in today's world more than ever. Standing squarely upon all the great fundamentals of the faith, this missionary and evangelistic training school has the message of faith and the love for souls of lost men that our world would so desperately needs today. Now, the, the head of this conference, the guy putting it on was J. Vernon McGee. Mm-hmm. And he's still around. If you listen, he's been dead for a long time. But, but he still has his walk through the Bible, I think it's called. It's okay. still on somewhere. and Because um, I heard it the other day, actually. But it goes on to say this, but Biola is a faith institution. We look to God, and we look to the people of God to supply our needs. While we offer Bible training without cost to the student, mm-hmm. we must receive your love gifts if we are to continue. May we earnestly place our needs of the school, radio, magazine, China extension upon your heart. Will you please pray daily for the incomparable blessing of God to rest upon us? We will gladly send you further information. Please address this the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Hopes and gives the address of, of where it is. Now, I, I find that interesting because then what I did is I just went today and I, I pulled up their website. And I thought, okay, I wonder what it costs to go to school there today. Now, once again, this is being said by me with no information as far as everything goes on behind closed doors or anything else. Just curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading something from the very early days saying this is a faith institution. We don't charge students. And now going to the annual expenses overview for 2022-23 for a student coming into Biola. Mm -hmm. Tuition is $44,382. Room average cost is $6,247. Board average 15-meal plan, $5,268. Total estimate for a student going to Biola, $55,890. Dollars. Yeah. So my, my my statement simply is simple. Yeah. Something changed if, from that early article saying we're not charging, you know, wow. we don't want to charge students to fifty five thousand even in today's money. Right. It, something has changed there, and I guess I'm just wondering what brought about the change. What well, changes yeah. places like that? Um, you know, when we started here at Silverberg Trance. I I remember. Feeling like I'm not 100% sure I know what I'm doing anyway. We're just starting something the year round that we didn't really have a blueprint to do. 
And so I sat and I said, there's four things. There's just four things I want to make sure we do. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we're effective at knowing Christ and making him known. And I wanted to make sure we were a safe place for kids. I wanted to make sure that we were a fun place because I think that's how relationships are built. And then I wanted to make sure we were affordable, that anybody could come. Yeah. Still today, all these years later, those are the four things. If I have to evaluate something quickly, those are the four questions I ask. You know, is it effective at reaching, you know, knowing Christ and making them known? Are we effective at that? Are we safe or, or is it not safe? Mm-hmm. Is it something kids can actually come to? Or are we saying no to them because they can't afford it? And is it fun? Are people coming and is there laughter and, and joy being spread, you know, between people? Because that's what humans need with each other and with intergenerational things that go on. Um, so to me, that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. But our methods certainly have, yeah, because world changes, Absolutely. you know. Um, uh, but here, when I was looking at this, I thought, I don't know, I don't know. When I when I just read that, what are your candid thoughts on that? That's a lot of money. <laughs> yes, it is for anybody. For anybody, and it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, that that goes into a, a different conversation, I think, in general. Oh, um, it does. But uh, yeah, it's just like how, especially knowing that they're trying to equip, you know based on that original letter, missionaries and people that want to do ministry. And now, I haven't looked at their website and seen what they're trying to equip today. Well, touche, touche. Um, but I would, I, would, I would probably argue that any Christian institution, you're obviously, you know, educating ministry leaders and, and probably some missionaries. And I would argue it's like, man, I mean, it's not, <laughs> I would say it's, it's a common assumption that's usually fairly true that if you're going into ministry, whether it's a missionary or in the church, unless you end up at some crazy wealthy church, it's not like you're going to make a ton of money. Right. And so, I mean, if the average person goes to school there for four years, yeah. I mean, you're talking $200,000. Yeah. That's more than, you know, a mortgage on a house. Yep. You know, and it, Absolutely. and when are you going to pay that off? It's just insane. Yeah. You know, and so I, I feel like that looking at that, and the original intent that you read earlier, and it, it totally contradicts it. Yeah, it does. You know, and like you said, maybe their purpose has changed or whatnot, but something changed, and the 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 result doesn't match up with their purpose that they originally had. Yeah, I would argue. Well, and and that's the thing that I'm trying to investigate. And that's at the surface yeah. level, obviously. But yeah, I'm trying to investigate that in my own brain at this point. How in the world do you go from one place to another through time? What decisions? I it probably there wasn't a time where a single decision was made right that says okay let's start you know charging a lot more and let's change what we're doing like that probably isn't what happened mm-hmm. so the question for any ministry as they get older including ours or any ministry is how do you guard the fundamentals yeah you know for years there were that people were putting out these complicated you know you come somewhere and the and the thing was you know you don't even have a mission statement it's like I, I used to say when they asked me that, I said, yes, we do. What? To know Christ, to make him know. That's a motto. No, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't count. And I thought, well, it does for me. Yeah. Why? Because it's simple. And I could do that. If you if you make a 20-point mission statement, how in the world do you even do it? And yeah. how do you keep track of it? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a Fortune 500 company, I guess go ahead. Yeah. But but we're not that, you know. It, what's really very interesting to me is that in our culture today, 
people who use a ministry like Silverbridge Ranch or some other ministry, they want to be tre- they want to treat us like we're a Fortune 500 company, but we're not. Right. We don't have those resources. So we don't act like a Fortune 500 company, but yet they're used to a certain level. You know, mm-hmm. they want to call and somebody should answer the phone 24-7 and, and, and give them what they want, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, well, you know, that's nice. And mm-hmm. we try and do what we can do. And you can have stuff answer and you don't even have to be there. I guess we could do that. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line really is, what if we're not a Fortune 500 company? Do we have to act like one? Mm-hmm. Right. How, how are we supposed to act? Do you want us to act in accordance with what people pay? Mm-hmm. Do you want us to act in accordance with, or, or do you want us to act like something we're actually not? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a, a an interesting question as I get older and look at it and see how the, the world has changed in life and how expectations have changed. And um, I, th- I think it's a very interesting um, dilemma as things change. For example, Harvard, Harvard, a lot Harvard. of a lot of colleges basically have changed in life as far as what their purpose actually was. I was looking up how some schools started. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford. So I'm going to read. This is an article by a guy named Brody Hodge, Answers Magazine. I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, But uh, he basically said this. Many of America's and England's oldest universities were established as religious institutions. But now they advocate evolutionary thinking. What happened? That's the, again, that's the question I'm asking. <laughs> right. What happened? So he starts telling us, most colleges in the United States that started over 300 years ago were Bible-proclaiming schools. And I can see that. Education was important to Christians. So they started schools. Harvard and Yale, originally Puritan, and Princeton, originally Presbyterian, once had rich Christian histories. Harvard was named after a Christian minister, Yale was started by clergymen, and Princeton's first year of class was taught by Reverend Jonathan Dixon. Princeton's crest still says, all right, I don't know how to speak Latin. (laughs) Just give it a try. No. Okay. De sub numi viget, which means under God she flourishes. Oh, yes. So that's their motto, under God she flourishes. In the United Kingdom, the earliest university-type establishment was probably the college established by a Celtic preacher, St. I-L-L-T-Y-D. How do you say that? I-L-L-I. You got a Celtic kind of brain. I-L-L-I-T-E. I-L-L-T-Y-D. Ilt. 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 I don't know. Okay, good. <laughs> well, the preacher, St. Ilt, in about AD 500, Oxford University was established by various religious orders. Cambridge University was established by Christian leaders. St. Andrews, Scotland's oldest university, was founded principally for teaching the study of theology. I look back on these things, and these schools are all liberal. Hmm. Yeah. How did we get there? Mm-hmm. What, when do you start saying, I'm going to ignore God? Mm-hmm. When, when that was the reason you got started in the first place. Right. How, do, how does that happen? And the, the guy writing this article said, even my alma mater in our area, actually, you know, I grew up, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale had a Christian roots and was founded in 1869. Southern, that's a party school. Right. It had Christian roots. 
It says our school motto was here's another one, Deo Volente or something, which is Latin for God willing. By the time I attended SIUC in the 90s, there was almost no vestige of Christian heritage left. Um, yeah, it's, it's just absolutely mind-boggling to me that we can be in a place where we have had such really great roots. Yeah. And somehow we abandon them. Well, it's kind of like our country. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, when, they, when they drafted the Constitution, you know, yep. it, was, it, was, it was done in a very yeah. almost biblical way. It, well, it was. You know. I forget the study now, and I should go back and find it one day, but there was a study once that tried to look at um, how much of the Constitution actually was affected by the Bible. Hmm. And it was done by these Ivy League schools, one of them, I can't remember which one, so nobody should listen and validate anything I say because I can't document it. However, I remember reading that um, a, you know, a great majority of the Constitution was taken directly from biblical premises. Mm-hmm in the early years of our country. Yeah. Well, if you're gonna ignore the Bible, then you're ignoring the foundation of the Constitution even. And uh, that's important to see. Here's how weird it's gotten though. Now, what is a chaplain's role, do you think, in a, a school? Role. Like if, if I were to tell you this school has a chaplain, what would be their role? I have no idea. Yeah, depends on the school, I guess. But here, let me read this to you. Again, an article by Fox News, so it's gotta be reliable, I guess. <laughs> uh, Harvard University has appointed a new chaplain who brings fresh perspective to the role because he's an atheist. An atheist? Yeah, an atheist chaplain. Chaplain. Uh, to me, that comes across as an oxymoron. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, look, Greg Epstein, 44, took over as president of the University Greg of Chaplain. Greg Epstein? Yep. Is he really? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, me there. no clue. <laughs> 44, took over as president of the university chaplains this week after organization unanimously elected him. The chaplains argued that as a man with no clear religious affinity, Epstein is the perfect candidate to organize various religious group activities around campus. Interesting. How in the world do you come to that conclusion? I, Wow. How do you come to that conclusion? That's insane. But, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 66 and you're not, and we agree on that. You know, it's like, right? How in the world? I'm reading this, going, huh? <laughs> Does that make any <laughs> any sense to anybody? Is this something we applaud or is this something we cry about? Right. Anyway, it says this guy can do that. As the president of the organization, Epstein will organize the more than 40 university chaplains from Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, and other religious communities. There's a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition, but still experience a real need for conversation and support around what it means to be a good human and live an ethical life, Epstein told the U.S. News and World Report. Hmm. How do you do that? How do you... With no standards, with no God, with no absolute, how do you teach someone to live a good ethical life? Yeah, because you have to teach something that's absolute. Yeah, I continue to go deeper and deeper into, I have no idea who's saying this and if they're people who actually are educated or just laughing at the rest of the world because of what they're saying. Wow. Because it doesn't make any sense to me. No, not at all. 
it, it contradicts itself. Yep. But that's It's like saying bananas don't exist while you're eating a banana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's hey, a random illustration. Hey, look at look though. Here's what he says. Here's what this Epstein guy said. We don't look for God. We don't look to God for answers, he added. We are each other's answers. What does that mean? Well, let me ask this, just in general, just in general, just yeah. generally. Okay, generally. Yeah. Speak it. How's it working? Let's look to Putin for answers. Oh, man. Let's look to Zelensky for answers. Let's look to Biden. No, 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 Nancy Pelosi. Let's look to her for answers. Let's look, you know, I don't even want to get political. I'm just saying, let's look to these people and say, let's come up with an answer. And anybody listening right now is going, no, we can't look to them. Mm-hmm. See, that just blows what he said out of the water. Right, right. There has to be an absolute here somewhere. You exclude God from the formula. Then you say something like this where everyone nods their head and thinks you're brilliant, where you say, we don't look to God for answers. We look to each other for answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the dumbest things I ever heard in my life. Yeah. And this is from a guy who's the head chaplain at Harvard University. I have zero. Now, again, this is my opinion, but I have zero respect for Harvard University and anything they think of right now. Right. I'd agree. How can you even say that and work there? Mm-hmm. No idea. Obviously, we think something different here at Silverberg Train. That's right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, he goes on, the appointment is sure to strike a nerve with some already taking to Twitter to express their confusion and dissatisfaction. Really? You think that's controversial? If you appoint a guy to be head chaplain that doesn't believe in God and that basically thinks people are good when there's no definition of good. Completely missing the point is the role of the chaplain. One user posted saying that the decision made at Harvard Har- it, by the Harvard label less prestigious. Other users asked why Epstein serves as a chaplain if he doesn't believe in God, with another user calling his appointment a grift. A grift. A grift. Epstein was raised Jewish, but identifies instead as a humanist, an approach to life based on reason and common humanity. Reason. Reason and common humanity. Whatever that means. Yeah. It, you know what? That means nothing, actually. And I think when we continue this later, we're going to talk more about that. Because that actually means nothing. No, it doesn't mean anything. How many times now in our, in our culture, we are great at, we are the communication culture. What are we communicating? Yeah, I don't know. This makes no sense at all. And for anybody to politically nod their head and agree with this is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. To base something on reason and common humanity. He doesn't oppose religious expression, he says. I I would hope not. Do you know here, they listed Harvard just, I know we got to go into the next section. uh, Next next program, I'll, I'll talk about the makeup of who's at Harvard. Yeah, the makeup of there, because it, it's pretty crazy. It and, is. And that's the thing, is over time, if, if you're not keeping consistent with keeping the main thing the main thing, you start to drift without even realizing it until you get to the point of, you know, you look at Harvard, it's like, really? They they were founded as a Christian they were. institution. It's just like, how in the world did they get there? Or even you look at our country and where we're at and where our political leaders are at, and you, and you kind of scratch your head, probably more often than yeah. not, wondering what in the world is going on. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, we're out of time, so we're going to have to continue this discussion in a future episode. But I encourage you to head over to silbertranch.org where you can li- re-listen to this episode or tune into other ones and, and see and join in on the conversation. Um, 
But for now, this is Jason and Dave and Younger and Older. Take care. We'll see you next time.